Let's begin with a, a prayer of illumination. This prayer is based on 1 Peter 2. <laughs> Jesus' disciple Peter, he paints the picture of our relationship to God, and this picture will guide our prayer of illumination. He says this, Like a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word. Nourished by it, you will grow into salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Life-giving God, you invite us to come to you this morning like newborns, longing for the nourishment of your presence. We are thirsty for your truth, hungry for your justice, and in need of a kind of intimacy that can only be experienced as we lean upon your chest and drink from you, O God. May we grow into salvation by doing so and taste that the Lord is good. Amen. A young woman named Mate, M-A-I-T-E. She was in her first year of college. She had grown up a Christian, but she was dead set against evangelism. She could barely even tell people that she was a Christian, let alone talk to them about Jesus. Perhaps some of you can relate. But during the first months of college, something interesting happened. She felt convicted during a Bible study to help out two women in the dorm room next to hers. These, these two freshman girls, they were not getting along at all, and so they had asked if she'd be willing to move out, to move out of her single room and with one of them into the, a double room. Now, if you don't remember the size of these dorm rooms, they're pretty cozy. So that's a big ask of this, uh, this woman named Mate. She very much liked her single room, so she said... No, but get this, God began to change her mind. She began to sense God urging her to help them out, so she sacrificed her single room and moved in with a girl named Sarah. True story. Now, at this point, Maite felt like she had sacrificed enough for God's sake. She had given up the comforts of her single room for the well-being of her neighbors, but she was challenged to take it one step further by a more experienced Christian. That is, she was challenged to actually tell Sarah, her new roommate, why she did what she did. We might say that she was challenged not only to do the witness, but also to say the witness. The reverse is also true. We must not only walk the walk, but talk the talk. Now, this was a terrifying prospect for Marte, the prospect of telling Sarah why she switched rooms, bringing the name God up in conversation with someone she barely knew. But when Sarah was overjoyed at her decision, she pressed her on why she changed her mind. And so, uh, so she had to tell her. She describes her response in the, book, uh, in the book, I Once Was Lost. Maite, the Christian, says this, My voice was shaking and I blubbered. Um, well, it's just that, see, I, I kind of feel like the way I see it, honestly, Sarah, I just feel like God told me to move in with you. Sarah looked at Mate, a bit puzzled, and said, well, whatever, I'm just glad you're moving in. <laughs> now, as the school year progressed, Mate began taking small steps to bring Jesus up in conversation, and she'd often tell Sarah when she was going to a Bible study, she reflects on this time of their relationship by saying this, I started putting two and two together in my mind. 
Sarah had these struggles, and Jesus had these answers. I knew them both. I should let her in on the goods. (laughs) Then, one day, Sarah was in tears over the pressure she was experiencing in school. So Maite offered to simply pray for her. Sarah welcomed the prayer. She had begun to trust a Christian. Harlan Community Church, I share this story to you because this is someone who made the most of it. By responding to God's nudging, Maite made the most of the opportunity with her non-Christian neighbor, Sarah. By paying attention in a spirit of prayer, she became a collaborator with the Holy Spirit. We can do this too. Sure, Sarah still has a long way to go in order to trust Jesus in her life, at least at this point in the story, but she's made the first step. For the first time in her life, she trusts a Christian, and that's a big step for some people. God used a college freshman dead set against evangelism to get her there. My friend, God wants to use you too, to bring others one step closer to Jesus. God wants to use you and all your uniqueness to communicate the gospel as an act of love. So that's why we're staying with this topic of evangelism for eight straight weeks. It's that important. We're on week six this morning, and we've finally arrived at what most people think qualifies as evangelism. We're talking about saying the witness today. We're going to return to this opening story at the end of the message to see how things unfold. I hope that's reason enough not to snooze through this one. But for now, we're going to shift gears a bit, and and, and we're going to turn to the story of Scripture. Sound good? All right. So one Scripture, our Scripture comes to us in the form of an email written in the first century. Well, actually, it's a letter. But it would have been an email if the technology was available back then, I think. The traveling preacher named Paul, he wants to broadcast a high-priority message to all the Jesus followers in two neighboring cities in modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul, he could not blast out his message through MailChimp like we can, right, Kathy? So what does he do? He uses the best technology available at the time. He writes a handwritten letter, chooses a trusted friend to deliver it personally, first to those in Colossae, then on to Laodicea. Does anybody still write handwritten letters? Oh, it's so wonderful to get one, isn't it? Beside the point. All right, three-fourths of the way through Paul's 2,000-word letter, we read these words, Colossians 4, verse 2 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. At this point in the letter, three-fourths of the way through, Paul gets practical. 
Paul tells the first century followers of Jesus the same thing that Pastor Stephanie and I have been trying to tell you all at Heartland. In summary, communicate the gospel as an act of love. This involves not only being the witness and doing the witness, but also saying the witness. There's an insert in your bulletin, provides a little summary of where we've been so far and these, these three components of mission. This is just a quick reference guide to jog your memory, and so I won't go through it today, but it's, it's there for you for now or for later. Now, in order to say the witness well, there are a few things that need to happen according to Paul. First, we must devote ourselves to prayer, a word Paul uses three times in just two verses. Second, we must make the most of every opportunity we have with non-Christians, living wisely among them. And third, we must pay attention to the manner in which we speak with non-Christians. When these things are in place, oh, the marvelous ways God is going to use us to bring the joy of Jesus into the lives of others. The joy doesn't stop there. When these things are in place and we follow God's nudgings, there is joy that awaits us too, joy that will overwhelm us when God uses us to bring our friends healing and health and wholeness in a word, salvation. What an occasion for celebration when that happens. Joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life, at least according to Jesus. Do you want to experience that joy, my friends? Do you want to be used by God for a purpose that far exceeds anything you've got going on? Do you want to make the most of your one wild and precious life? Then commit yourself to live out God's word through Paul, God's word to pray, to pay attention to opportunities, and then to say the good news of Jesus with grace and wisdom. Before we go any further with this, I feel the need to clear up something. We've been through uh, six weeks of this now. If at some point during this sermon series you had a feeling that God wanted you to change something about your life, well then how do you make that change? Or if you, begin to, or if you have begun to sense that you could do a better job at communicating the gospel, well then how do you improve if you want to become a more faithful, fruitful evangelist in the best sense of the term, then how do you get there? I want to argue, and this is really important, I want to argue that it's not by trying harder. Sheer will will not get us there. Instead, if we're going to grow in our capacity to share the good news, we must first abide in Christ. Then we will grow like a plant rooted in the good soil of grace, receiving the nutrients of love from above. That's how we grow and change and become more faithful communicators of the good news of Jesus. If we forget this aspect, we fall into a useless cycle, and long-term change is unlikely. Now see if this cycle sounds familiar to any of you. You hear something from a preacher, or you read something in scripture, or you hear something on the radio, and your life doesn't align with it, and you know you have to change. So you feel guilty, then you ask for forgiveness, then you try hard for a little while, then you get distracted, or you get discouraged, 
or it gets too hard and you stop trying. Eventually you forget the change that you had set out to make until the next time the topic is brought up. Then it's just cycle, repeat. Am I alone here? (laughs) Am I so weird of a person? Don't answer that. (laughs) Am I so weird of a person that my experience is not shared by others? I suspect you know what I'm talking about. This cycle of moralism. It's the idea that says personal change is all up to us. That we have it within ourselves, within our willpower to make changes for the better. Even apart from relationships to others, including God. This is the idea of self-improvement. And it rarely works long term. We cannot improve ourselves by ourselves. But what did Jesus say? Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus could say this, I think, because he knew that real change happens through relationships. This includes you and I changing the way we engage with non-Christians. Just flip through the files of your own life and see if this holds true. Real change happens through relationships. Most central, I believe, is one's relationship with Jesus and his community called church. That's why all the commands in the Bible are situated in the context of a loving relationship with God and God's people. You have to know who you are and whose you are before you can follow through on what you are to do. Am I right? So this plays out in Paul's letter called Colossians. As you recall, we jumped in three-fourths of the way through, so we missed a good deal of the context. So what happened before, Paul urges them to make the most of every opportunity. Paul first sets the context. He sets the context that makes this transformation possible. The context is our relationship with Jesus and his people. This we richly possess, not because we tried hard to gain it, but solely on account of the lavish grace of God. So here are some of the words Paul writes in his letter before the commands on evangelism that we read. These words are true for you as well. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, these words are true for you. Let these words of God wash over you and sink into the reality of which they speak. If we don't do this first step, we will never change in our approach to non-Christians. So friends, hear these words of God. Christ lives in you. (laughs) Christ lives in you. Therein lies the hope of glory. God, the Father, rescued you from the control of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. He set you free through the son and forgave your sins. He goes on, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of debt you owed with its requirements that worked against you, he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. My friend, you, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
God really wants you to know this last one deep down. You are God's choice. You, you're God's choice. Holy and loved. Friends, all of these things are true about us before we even start doing anything. That's the context of relationship for the commands on evangelism that follow. When this matrix of reality is before our minds on a regular basis, when our identity is secured by the pure milk of God's sweet word, when we stay alert to the presence of God in Christ, what naturally follows is spiritual growth. Many of you have experienced what I'm talking about. This, this growth, it will include our, our ability to share the good news with Jesus to others. Being the witness, doing the witness, and saying the witness. But this growth, it's not something we work up on our own by trying harder. It happens as we rest in the grace of Jesus. So are we clear on that point? Can we hear Paul's urgings without getting sucked into the cycle of moralism? If so, then we're ready to consider in more detail these three exhortations on evangelism. Here are three things to aim for, according to Paul. Three things to put into practice as we abide in Jesus and as we cling to the Father's grace and as we hold each other accountable as the community of the Spirit. Number one, pray. It just seems like this one keeps coming up, doesn't it? Pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray in solitude. Pray on the go. Pray in the middle of conversations. Pray in a way that keeps you attentive to what God is doing in your life and in the life of your non-Christian neighbors, friends, co-workers, and strangers. Pray. That's what it means to be watchful in prayer. And be thankful in prayer, too. Thank God for the progress your non-Christian friends are making, even if they're not yet ready to trust Christ with their life. Thank God that God's in control. Salvation is God's work. In addition to this type of prayer, pray also for those who are called in a special way to preach the mystery of Christ. We preachers need prayer too, you know. <laughs> Paul makes known his prayer request to his congregants, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I ought. Friends, if Paul needs prayer for his preaching, you better bet your young pastors do too. I know so many of you do pray for us, and so we thank you. <laughs> I mean it. Thank you for that. That's number one. Pray. Number two, act wisely toward outsiders. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. The term outsiders is not derogatory in any way. It's just a semi-technical term that means those who are outside of the church, those who do not consider themselves Christians. I prefer the term non-Christian, so let us act wisely toward non-Christians, making the most of every opportunity. Now how do we do this? This idea of making the most of it it's directly tied to our praying. As we go throughout our day, we are to be aware of God's presence. God is in the atmosphere, my friends. God is available. 
God is near. God is not far away. To say that God is in heaven does not mean that God is at a distance, watching from afar in outer space. No. For the writers of Scripture, heaven is near because God is near, always at our right hand. Heaven is the invisible reality that overlaps the visible we call earth. So we pray, our Father who art in heaven, which means our Father who is over and above and beyond, yet near, close, accessible, available. Since this is true, we can go throughout our day in the awareness that God is with us. God is here. God is close at hand. And God is with our interaction with others, including our interaction with non-Christians. So we are to make the most of these opportunities, which means we are to be vigilant in prayer as we seek to bless and to love and to invite, and occasionally, when the time is right, even to challenge our non-Christian friends, but always as an act of love. That leads us to number three. Speak with grace. The manner of speaking ought to match the content of speech. And the content is the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So speak with grace every time you talk about spiritual matters with non-Christians. If only the church would have obeyed these words of Paul in every generation. When talking about God, we speak with grace. Always with grace. Full of grace, our text says, and seasoned with salt, sprinkled with insight, with knowledge on how to answer everyone. That's the manner in which God wants us to say the witness. I like how scholar N.T. Wright summarizes this verse. He says this, If Paul's job is to make the mystery of Christ clear, it is the Colossians' job as well. They, too, must learn to speak with grace and salt, presumably meaning that whatever else they do, they mustn't be boring. <laughs> and they must use every opportunity to do so, becoming skilled in the art, get this, becoming skilled in the art of real listening to the questions and comments made by puzzled onlookers, and being sure they answer the person appropriately, rather than just parroting stock responses. Here, as elsewhere, Paul longs for them to become mature Christians, able to think for themselves and to speak with the quiet confidence that comes from having thought things through. So those are Paul's three exhortations on evangelism. We pray, we make the most of every opportunity with non-Christians, and we speak with grace. Let me illustrate what this looks like in practice, what it looks like when someone's following this advice, rooted in, in the love of Christ, rooted in their relationship. I have the privilege of illustrating this by sharing with you a story of my great-aunt Connie. Does anybody else have an Aunt Connie? Any Aunt Connies? Yes, we got one Aunt Connie, all right. My great-aunt Connie. Connie's in her 80s, you see. She was my, my grandma's sister. And Connie, she knows Jesus well enough by now to know that he's not done using her yet. She recalls the old folks in the Bible that God used, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and so on. 
So she considers herself in good company. Perhaps God has saved his best work for last. That's her attitude. And so she's developed a regular practice of prayer. She simply walks through her living complex, one of these retirement complexes, and she prays for her neighbors as she passes their doors. Simple practice. Some of them she knows well, and some she only knows their names, but she prays for them all the same. That's Paul's first exhortation on evangelism. Pray. Pray for God to open a door for the message of Christ. Now one of the neighbors my my sweet Aunt Connie prays for, her name's Cindy. Cindy is in her mid-60s, and she lives five doors down. Now, Cindy confided in my Aunt Connie uh, a couple years ago about some of the trouble she was going through, some financial difficulties. This forced her to move out for a while, but she was able to move back last fall, just this past fall. That's when they talked again. I say they talked, but it was really Cindy doing most of the talking. You know what I mean? (laughs) As she went on and on about her ills and misfortunes, Connie just prayed for her in the quiet of her mind. Lord, what should I say? Just listen. Lord, what should I do? Keep listening and care for her. And then, after Cindy finished her long list of woes, Connie felt the urge to respond with a simple, simple question. Can I pray for you? She said, no. (laughs) Well, my, my mother was into that, she explains, but I'm not. So, Connie backed off. She didn't pry or push it. She just let that be for now. So fast forward a few months. Now we're into just this past winter. Connie's volunteering as a counselor for this seeker event at a big church in Fort Wayne. This event was designed to communicate the gospel with those who are not yet Christians, but those who are curious about Christ. So Connie, she felt very comfortable volunteering as a counselor. This was right up her alley. She had been a social worker much of her life but she was not nearly as comfortable with the challenge that came after volunteering. After the fact, she and all the other volunteers were told, you know, people are, people are not just going to show up on their own like they used to. You, the volunteers, need to bring, him here, bring them here. Cindy came to mind. And this t- all this time, you know, Connie, she'd, had, she'd continued to pray for her and for her needs as she made her rounds through the neighborhood. But now her prayers turn specific. God, give me an opportunity to invite Cindy to the event. That's Paul's second exhortation on evangelism. Make the most of every opportunity. Connie understood that God had to be the one that opened the door. She couldn't force it on her own. She learned that from experience. So she kept on asking God for an opportunity to invite Cindy, but the opportunity never seemed to come. Whenever they saw each other, it was always in passing. One was in the hurry or the other one was. Now, soon enough, we're at the day of the event, okay? You with me? We're at the day of the event. Still no opportunity. So Connie, she's getting herself ready. She's looking at the mirror, perhaps wondering how she got so old. And she prays this. She prays, Lord, if I am to talk to, talk to her, you open the door. And then she, she grabs her keys and she, she walks into the hallway and lo and behold, who does she see? Cindy. <laughs> Cindy, sitting by the exit door, leisurely gazing out of the picture window. First time she'd ever seen her like that. 
As you can expect, Connie's first thought was, oh Lord, this is my opportunity. But her second thought was, Lord, she's not going to come on the spur of the moment. Thankfully, God persisted, and she came. Friends, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now the event, this seeker event, it came to the conclusion, and it was time for Connie to make her way to the back where the counselors went. I better get going, she informed Cindy. To this, Cindy responded, well, then let's go. I need this. (laughs) But they didn't go anywhere. They just sat down on the bleachers right there. They talked about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to entrust to God one's life. And Cindy responded in faith. God had been working on her for quite some time, it turns out. And it was just Connie making the most of the opportunity that God put before her. Oh, I just, I wish you could have seen the joy beaming from my Aunt Connie's beautiful, wrinkly eyes as she tells this part of the story. That's exhortation on evangelism number three. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's been a few months now since that event. I just talked to her to make sure I had my facts straight the other day. Thanks be to God, Cindy still goes to church every Sunday with my Aunt Connie. She's memorized a few verses. She's learning how to pray. She's still a baby Christian, as Connie puts it, but she's growing in the grace and knowledge of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what counts. Thanks be to God. Amen? Friends, we can do that too. We can. I believe in you. God believes in you. And I know that because God has placed his spirit inside of you. Remember, Christ lives in you. In order to work through you, you and I, struggling disciples that we sometimes are, we can pray for God to open doors, and we can make the most of it when God opens them, and we can respond appropriately to others with gracious speech and gentle hearts. We can do these things just as Simple Connie did them. That's a pretty good place to stop, I suppose. But I did say I was going to tell you the end of the story about Maite and her non-Christian roommate, Sarah. Uh, Connie's story, I think, can connect maybe with some of our older folks, and Maite's story, I hope, connects with some of our younger folks. So I'd like to finish the story if you have time to hear it, or should I save it for later? Uh, Well, uh, you don't feel like you know what to say. I'm just going to read it straight from the, the, the book. It's just a couple pages. This is a a book I once was lost, details some of these stories from 2,000 non-Christians who became Christians through the ministry of InterVarsity, this college campus ministry. So here's the the end. We just left off uh, when when Sarah had just begun to trust uh, a a Christian for the first time. She had just welcomed Maite's prayer, uh, but she was still a long way off from trusting Christ. So that was in the fall, and then then this happened. As the spring semester rolled around their freshman year, the two women had continued to grow as friends. Now one night, when both of them had gone to bed and the lights were out, their conversation came around to God. Sarah, the the non-Christian, she'd been reading a New Age book 
about how everything in your life is connected and there are signs everywhere, Maite knew it was an important moment. She describes it like this. It was pitch dark, black in the room, and everything seemed calm. But I felt like my heart was going to pop out of my body. It was pounding so hard. I had this unnerving feeling that God was not going to let me fall asleep until I took this next step and asked her if she wanted to study a gospel with me. So I took a deep breath, and I asked if she'd be interested in taking a look at what Jesus had to say about some of those things. She answered easily, sure, when can we start? (laughs) Their studies were rich in discussion about Jesus, and both of them told stories on how their lives connected to the text. Now, Sarah loved learning about Jesus. She soaked in the stories of her character, of his character, always wanted to go deeper. She had become curious about Jesus and was open to how his words connected with her own life. So when April rolled around, Sarah was more than willing to go with Maite to a weekend retreat called Up Close. The retreat was held on Catalina Island, an hour-long ferry ride from Los Angeles. So get this. The first night they were on the island at this, at this Christian retreat, Sarah, the non-Christian, she prayed for a sign. She told Maite that the pieces were in place, but she, she just couldn't trust Jesus yet. She couldn't trust that Jesus was someone she could give her life to unless she had some proof. She told Maite bluntly, I'm a science major, so I just need some evidence. The following morning, one of the staff, John, taught out of John 6 where Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Maite remembers the morning and the rest of the week very well. The whole talk from this preacher, the whole talk was about bread. Bread stories, bread symbolism, bread scriptures, bread, bread, bread. Halfway through, it hit me. My mind flashed back to our boat ride over to Catalina. Sarah and I had played a word game on the boat. Of all the words in the dictionary, the one she had picked was bread. And because I messed up the game, we randomly got into this long conversation about bread. So I'm sitting, listening to John preach at this retreat, and this connection dawns on me, and I look over at Sarah. Tears are streaming down her cheeks, and she looks at me, smiles, and mouths, bread. Sarah was amazed that God had given her this sign. That night at the evening session, John called for those who wanted to come alive like Lazarus to stand, and Sarah went up strong. Unashamedly and boldly, she stood up for Jesus. I could not maintain, contain myself as I sat, na- sat next to her, trembling with joy. I had never seen such a beautiful thing, and I knew that moment that I'd never be the same again. Friends, we can do that too, can we not? God wants to use us to make the most of every opportunity. And it's not about us doing these amazing, dazzling things, but just praying simple prayers, following in simple steps, responding to nudgings and trust. And then, friends, then we can experience the joy that Maite felt, that my Aunt Connie felt, the joy of seeing others' lives transformed by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, your word is, is sweet to us like honey. We, we come to you 
like infants, like newborns, craving the pure milk of your word. And you have delivered, you've fed us with your truth, with your grace. We pray, Lord, that these words would be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Help us to follow you as we love our non-Christian friends. In your name we pray, amen.